believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. As we come to Judges chapter 14, we come to, we're just going to read a couple verses tonight from the 14th chapter, and on Tuesday, we actually read three chapters from the book of Judges pertaining to the life of Samson. Chapter 13 was the Lord appearing to Manoah's wife, Samson's mom, who had been barren, to declare to her that she was going to have this child, she was going to have this I guess, really, a miracle child. And he was called to be a Nazarite, which means he was going to be separated from his womb to the Lord in a very special way. In the Old Testament, prior to this, in the law, we saw that the Nazarite was one, uh, was a choice by a man, as we understand it, to choose to abstain from uh, alcohol, touching a dead body, and shaving their hair. And they would consecrate themselves to the Lord for a period of time, and then they would shave their hair, and that'd be like a, an offering to the Lord. And it's just a way of saying, like, hey, I'm going to do some special things with the Lord. I want to consecrate my thoughts, my calendar, my schedule, and to just draw closer to the Lord. And we talked about that in detail on Tuesday night. But in the case of Samson, he was called to be a Nazarite before he was ever born. It's just that predetermined plan that God had for his life. And even while his mom was pregnant, she was to be like a Nazarite. She was a, essentially a, a female Nazarite vow while carrying the child who was to be a Nazarite. So we know that he was set apart from the very beginning before he was even conceived, his announcement proclaimed by the Lord, much like John the Baptist or even Jesus himself. And we know also in the end of chapter 13 that the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon the child. And remember in the Old Testament that the Spirit of the Lord would come upon people at different times, but he didn't indwell believers like he does when you give your life to Christ and you're born again when you're born from above by the Spirit of God coming to indwell us. Then in chapters 14 and 15, we get the heart of Samson's life where he's an adult male. He, he goes after this Philistine woman to be his wife, and all these events happen that are pretty tragic events, actually. And then it runs its course, and then there's a summary of his life, really, in the end of chapter 15, where it says that he, he judged Israel for 20 years. And then what comes after that in chapter 16, we'll get to in a couple of weeks, is his whole final chapter with Delilah, where Delilah takes him down with the Philistine lords, and it's a bad ending. Most of us are pretty familiar with the story of Samson. So we have the announcement of his birth, then we have these events of chapters 14 and 15, with his wedding, this woman he loved, and all these things that happened that went in a bad way. And then the summary of his life, the last verse of chapter 15, that he judged Israel for 20 years, and then the details of his ending, his final days, his final season with Delilah and all that happened after that. So we're looking at the life of Samson, and we've seen quite a few different judges so far, insignificant judges and more profound judges. And Samson is a very profound judge. He's unique in the book of Judges that he was called to be a Nazarite before he was born. 
And there's a lot we can look at Samson's life that would be both positive and negative that we can learn from. It is very unique. And so tonight we're going to read the first four verses of chapter 14 that introduce us to him as an adult and the events that happen in his life as a, as a man in the, the peak of his physical strength, we'd say the strength of his youth, and, and we read this in verse 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he, the Lord, was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. This is the whole background to these two chapters And all of our application is in these verses, but also carries over into these two chapters of 14 and 15. This is actually one of those passages of scripture that you might have hear someone call into pastor's perspective or Bible answer man type of a show like, well, wait a second. How if Samson goes after a Philistine woman, that would never be God's will. It's contrary to God's law is revealed word. So when we say that He did so, and his father and mother didn't know that was of the Lord, that the Lord was in it. It becomes a perplexing sort of passage. It really brings us to these thoughts that are macro things when we think about the Lord. The things that we, if you think and you stop and think about certain things in your life, your purpose, the value of your life, the value of every life. History. The future. Eternity all these things, when you think about God in general, there's going to be so much that we do understand because it's revealed in God's word and there's so much that we don't understand. And when you look at a text like this, you say, okay, well, there's clearly free will in this four verses. Samson has a free will. He's called to be a Nazarite. And he's called to be set apart for the Lord. So how is it that a guy that's been raised his whole life to be set apart for the Lord, consecrated for the Lord, not to touch a dead body, to be totally set apart, not to drink any alcohol, how is it that this guy, out of all the beautiful women in Israel, who would be equally yoked, that is, of the same faith, the people of covenant, how is it that this guy has to fall in love or be drawn to a Philistine woman? That's the question his parents asked him. You're like, of all the beautiful girls you went to at your Christian school, why do you got to go after this girl that you met at the club? You know, that's pretty much like the context of what, you know, what, what would be understood here. Like, dad's like going, son, like, all that we did for you, like, why? Like, why? Why? I mean, you're a Nazarite. Like, you've majored in, the ma- you've majored in these majors and you've minored in the minors. For being set apart your whole life, how can you not see that this is, This is the most obvious thing that would be contrary to God's will in your life. In fact, we know the reason that the judges existed in the cycle of sin in the book of Judges is because the children of Israel repeatedly broke God's law, which included intermarrying with the Canaanites and the Amorites and the people of that land. They repeatedly, instead of being sanctified, 
they gave their daughters to the men of the land, the Canaanites, who then stumbled their daughters to go after Canaanite gods. And then they gave their women, so they gave their daughters to the men and their men to the daughters. And God said, you will not elevate them in their unbelief and their false gods. They will degenerate you in their false gods. You're not going to elevate them to Jehovah. They're going to degenerate you to Dagon, the fish god, and Chamosh, the bully god. That's what's going to happen. And we know during this 400-year history of Israel between 1500 B.C. and 1100 B.C., the time of the judges, that the cycle of the judges is the reason there is a judge is because the people of Israel rebel against God, they intermarry, they worship the false gods, they do all the wrong things, and then God gives them over, a foreigner or the people within conquer them and they're subject to them. They can't take it anymore. They cry out to the Lord. God gives them a deliverer. It's a judge. He casts off the yoke of their oppressors. In this case, it's the Philistines. It's been the Amorites, the Moabites, and the Midianites. We've seen that already in the book of Judges. And there's a revival, and the people get right with the Lord. So they they no longer give their daughters to the Canaanite men. They, they, They no longer give their sons to the Canaanite daughters. So when you come to this text, you're like, Oh my goodness, this kid's been set apart for over two decades. His entire lifetime of education is not to be, as we said Tuesday night, a great sports star, a great business mind, or this and that. He is set apart for a spiritual purpose. So how can our son who's set aside for a spiritual purpose get right here to the edge of his calling and want a Philistine woman to be his wife? That would be so exasperating for the parents, by the way. I mean, and we're an older congregation, so we can be transparent about this. This is just exasperating. And for you younger people, you're like, I don't get it. Well, someday you might. But this is your parents' worst nightmare. That you would marry out of the faith and degenerate the blessings that you grew up with in your household, and choose that. Because if you choose Chamosh, the bully god, you live in a bully marriage. Or Dagon, the fish god, it stinks. But all, it'll never satisfy. Or Ashtoreth, unbridled lust, that, that doesn't work well in a marriage. It doesn't have a good ending. So here we have the free will of Samson clearly, definitively disobeying God's word and even doing the very thing that brought the chastening to the Philistines in the first place. And yet we're told that his parents didn't understand that this was of the Lord. What was of the Lord? That Samson would go after a Philistine woman. It's like, put that in your theology box. Okay. That it was of the Lord. Because God was seeking a chance to move against the Philistines. In other words, he's going to use Samson's lust for good to bring about judgment on the Philistines who are under his wrath. That is the theological mathematic equation in this entire thing. Because it's very clear from the scriptures, that's exactly what happened. Which has us thinking things like, the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children, but the secret things belong to the Lord. It has us thinking like the cross. Who put Jesus on the cross? Did the Jewish leaders put Jesus on the cross? Did Satan put Jesus on the cross? Or did the Father put Jesus on the cross? 
David's census. It says that David took, it says that Satan moved David to take a census and it brought chasing on Israel. But then we're also told that God moved David to take the census. Now David condemns himself, calls himself a sinner and he behaved foolishly when he took the census. It's sort of like in the book of Habakkuk. Whereas Habakkuk's complained about everything going wrong in his generation, the Babylonians have come to power, they're oppressing the people, it's a dark day. And he's like, oh, it's just terrible, the wicked prevail. And God's like, that's nothing. I'm going to do a work in your day that will declare to you, you would not believe it. Habakkuk 1.5. So what this really brings us to, listen, is there's always a bigger picture than any of us ever know. There's always so much more going on in God's universe from the farthest galaxy with a million stars in it to the hairs on your head than what we think we know. And that's why I say so often, let God be true and every man a liar. We don't don't know anything. What is man? We're but a speck of dust. What is man? His life is but a vapor. Old Testament. What is man? His life is but a vapor. New Testament. We come and we go. You have... Self-determination in the human experience, for sure. You have God's sovereignty over the human experience, for sure. Because every promise is going to come to pass. And as it says in Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing against the Lord and his anointed? As if they're going to stop Christ from coming back. They are not. And you just have this bigger picture that's so beyond our comprehension to fully understand. And that seems so appropriate in December 2021 because we want to compartmentalize things we want to understand things we want to control things or we want to we want to understand completely God's sovereignty that it's in line with how we think he should be working at all times I'm for free will when I get to exercise my free will the way I want and self-determination I'm for God's sovereignty when it's how I like it to look and work in my life I like it when I win the pipe masters because God's sovereign and gave me every good wave and I won my I live my dream I'm for God's sovereignty when it works for my glory or my health or my wealth. I'm not so sure I'm for God's sovereignty when I'm afflicted and I'm losing things. I'm not so sure I like God's sovereignty working that way. And I would like to understand God's sovereignty when it is working that way. I like all things work together for good to those who love God and are called in court to his purposes. But... I don't really like as much the other part who are being conformed to the express image of Jesus. Now, I think, oh, I want to be like Jesus, but not if it means a beatdown. Not if it means sorrow and heartache and pain and suffering. But when you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and you read about Paul's apostleship and about how all the hardships he went through brought forth the glory of Christ from him, that the kingdom advanced through him. So he can say, the God of all comfort who comforts us, that we might comfort others. And that's that area that we don't get. We can say, if we're wise, we can say self-determination, personal choice, plus sovereignty equals things I understand. But that third equal is not there. We can say on a chalkboard, free will plus sovereignty, both exist, equals what? It equals all these things in our life that we don't fully understand. 
We're told in Romans that God's ways and his truths and his judgments are so unsearchable. They're so past our finding out. And when you read these four verses that introduce to us the life, the adult life, the apex flashpoint of Samson's life, they're stunning. Especially after the previous chapter. They're stunning. That his entire life was trained to make the right decision. And here on the biggest decision you can make, who to marry, he makes an obvious wrong decision. Self-determination, yet the parents didn't know it was of the Lord. Sovereignty to bring about judgment on the Philistines. That area of God doing stuff that's just out of our wheelhouse. So we can say self-determination, sovereignty, and out of your wheelhouse. Because God's running the universe, not you or me. Or anyone that came before us, anyone that's coming after us. It's all his. From the dawn of creation, the coming of the kingdom. In fact, there in Acts chapter 1, it will be in Acts next year, when Jesus said, you know, he was in his glory and he was with the apostles, and they said, oh, are you you going to establish the kingdom now? And he goes, it's not for you to know when I'm going to establish the kingdom. That's the third part of this equation. Yours is to be my witnesses when I give you power. So this study, this topic is a much bigger topic than just Samson's failures or his parents' heartache or his wife's bad decisions and all the consequences. It really is self-determination, which comes from God, not from government. It really is sovereignty that's bigger than the human experience, and it really is a far grander picture of your life, my life, in our timeline, in the human experience for all eternity. So as we think about this, personal choices, the sovereignty of God, and a bigger picture. Let's think about this self-determination for a minute. Because if God gives us self-determination, that's the most basic foundational principle and right of human existence, is self-determination. Love always has a choice. And Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is a choice. The tree of life, to have that fellowship with the Lord, or to reject that with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And throughout the Bible, all the way to the last chapter of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, Revelation of Jesus Christ, there are choices that are made. And we can choose to love the Lord and obey the Lord, or we can choose not to obey the Lord. But we have to understand that in our creation, and even in the ability to accept or reject Christ, we have self-determination. Even Jesus said to Israel, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you like a mother and her chicks, but you were not willing. So while we understand that God has predestination and election and foreknowledge, we also understand that Jesus said he wanted to, but you were not willing. So even if there's 99.9% of sovereignty and 0.001% of free will, the free will still has its place to resist God. Love has to have a choice. And thus we are self-determined. And this is a foundational element in our very existence in God's universe, not man's. Because the highest government over men is God. 
the kingdom of God. And God decrees a self-determination of personal choice. Now, we know human history is human governments subjecting other people to one, to one another and subjecting them in a deprivation of sovereignty, personal so- sovereignty and self-determination and choices. But God created us with choice. So Samson has the choice. You can call him a Nazarite before he's even conceived. You can, have him, you can raise him properly for two generations, two decades. And you can try and steer him toward Rachel and Sarah and Elizabeth and all the godly women in your village. But in the end, if he's going to lust after a woman in Timnah of the Philistines, what are you going to do? You can raise him right and he goes away to college. He doesn't, he's, not, he's not attracted to Sarah and Rachel and Elizabeth. He's attracted to her, Delilah. That's who he's attracted to. Now, this woman has no name in the text that he went after. She's just the woman. <laughs> She's that woman. But Delilah, we know by name. And if you go after that woman, and you'll probably end up with a harlot, which is the next chapter, and you end up with Delilah, and you betray your very calling. And it costs you your life. But if you want to go pursue that woman, or you girls, you want to go pursue that man, you can. And you can build that life, even though you're consecrated, you had all the godly education, you had all the good reasons, all the good youth pastors, you had all the good leaders, all the people that poured into you. But if you want to go do that, you can. God will let you do that. And you might break your parents' heart, but trust me, there's enough witnesses here, and you get 100 adults together with Christian kids, and they can tell you, <laughs> they're self-determined. Parents can try and manipulate, beg, cry, plead, (laughs) cut off the funds, whatever it takes. But you know what? If they're going to do stupid things, they're going to do stupid things as adults. And if they're going to rebel against the Lord, and you know, here's the scary thing about this self-determination outwork sometimes, especially with Christian-raised kids who rebel against the Lord. So youth, listen to me closely. Because they know a lot of the scripture and they speak Christianese. And we used to say of our kids, not only do they speak Christianese, our kids are fluent in Christianese, they're fluent in Calvary Chapelese. Our kids not only speak Christianese, they speak Calvary Chapelese. Like they're in the sub dialect, they're fluent in both. So they can talk the Calvary Chapel language, they can talk Christian language, and they can flip that switch all out. Well, they're totally fluent. Like, oh my goodness, they speak. They, so they go to like a Christian college, they can just speak it like, they're like, oh wow, you know, you speak the language. But that doesn't mean anything. And what happens is, as they rebel against the Lord and go after the Philistine woman in Timnah, is they, they twist scriptures a certain way, or if the parents confront them with the scriptures, like Samson's probably did, you're a Nazarite, what are you doing? They, they, they discount that. They downplay that. They find another scripture to go against that scripture, or just like, well, that's mom and dad, you don't even know. You're such white Protestants. You know, a lot of people are hearing that these days. And if your, parent, your kids really want to offend you for all that you did for them, they'll call you angry white Protestants. But you can't take it personal. Because Samson's not mad at you. He just wants to go sleep with the woman in Timnah. And men will say whatever, you know, Satan said it best. Skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give to save his life. Skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give away to when he's in unbridled lust. Jennifer told me I can't say this woman was hot. So I'm not saying she's hot. But I'll say she's a hottie. 
She's a hotty toddy. If something wasn't reciprocated, why would Samson be interested? If you study stalkers, they rarely stalk anyone that hasn't given some sense of reciprocation toward them to lead them into their stalking. Ladies, take note. I've studied this stuff in detail because I've had to deal with stalkers. That's what being a shepherd is. Stalkers rarely ever go after a woman that has not reciprocated affection or attention in some way or another. And Samson's no stalker, but he's interested in this woman. And he's gotten probably enough of the, to pursue that. His parents were self-determined. They, so Samson's self-determination was a, was a bad ending for him. His parents, their self-determination was to try and stop him from making bad decisions. You know, his parents, there's no record of their wrong in this, which ought to comfort all parents who have children who don't walk with the Lord, because they made all the right decisions. What are you going to do? You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.